Well, good morning to everyone here in Lexington and Watertown and Christ Church of Amherst and those watching online. My name is Dave Ripper. I serve here as our Lexington campus pastor, and it's great to be with you. Our Wilmington and East Lexington campuses are having live preaching there today, so be sure to check out their messages online if you want to see what they're up to. And next week, we're going to be kicking off our brand new ministry year for what we call Vision Sunday. That will have a new uh, sermon series as part of that, and so you want to make every effort to get a chance to be here next week for that. And so today I've been given the chance to preach on what God's been uh, putting on my heart over this summer. And I think it's going to be a great chance for all of us to reflect not only on the season that is coming to a close, but to look ahead to this new uh, year together. And the biggest thing that's been on my mind recently uh, has been that God's been teaching me a ton through has been the birth of our new son, Dallas. Now, if anyone's heard, there he is, this little guy. We'll see if he makes it through the sermon here today. <laughs> now, just to clarify, if anyone's heard me speak before, we did name him after Dallas Willard, not the state, but uh, he'll be confused about that his whole life, and at least we didn't name him Jack, so he's got that going for him. But one of my preacher friends likes to say, if you don't have a really good il- illustration to kick off your, your sermon, just put up a picture of a baby. It doesn't even have to be yours, and everyone's going to be locked in, but that is my kid. But one of the biggest challenges that comes along with having a child is how to spend your time and your energy wisely. Because there's only so much time to go around and even less energy. So, and more things you should be doing than you have time to be doing. So how do you balance it all well? By a show of hands, how many of you felt a tension similar to this at some point in your life? Yeah, a lot of us. Early on, I would try and multitask while I was holding Dallas. I'd hold him in one hand and then try and shoot off some text messages or emails in the other hand. But almost immediately, he would know, you're not giving me all your attention and start to fuss and act like a big baby. I guess he is a baby. <laughs> and so the preferred way that he likes me to hold him is this. He wants me to put him on my lap, uh, left thumb in his mouth, right hand tapping his back while we sway just like this. <laughs> And life is good. And that's when our dog, Howdy, he'll always come up and be like, hey, pet me, pet me, pet me. I'm like, I got my hands full. How about, how about this foot? And he's like, now that this baby is born, all I get is a foot? That is low, man. But, but this struggle to try and spend my time and my attention on what's most important, that I'm sure you've experienced as well, has brought to mind one of the best questions that anyone has ever asked me and told me about. And I'm learning a lot from it these days. Here's the question. What is this time for? What is this time for? Now, most often when it comes to time, we ask, what time is it? Which is not the worst question to ask. And as a pastor around here, I sometimes wish we paid a little bit more attention to that. But the question, what this time is for, is so important because it invites us to make the most of the opportunity at hand. It challenges us to think before we act and to reflect while we act to make sure that we don't waste time or miss out on the opportunity of the moment. And so we can ask ourselves, is this a time for work or time to spend with friends and family? Is this time to be on my phone or maybe a time to reflect and pray? Is this a time to rest or maybe a time to hustle? Is this a time to zone out or to pay attention to the sermon? What do you guys think? This is an important question for us to ask, I think, over this Labor Day weekend, because while January 1st marks the beginning of the calendar year and Advent marks the beginning of the liturgical church year, 
Here in Boston, most of our lives revolve around the school year. Even here at Grace, our ministry year follows this timeline, September through June. So given the time of year it is around here in Boston and at Grace, I don't know if there's a more important question that we could be asking ourselves today than what is this time for? In other words, how can it be best spent intentionally and purposefully? Because we only get one shot at this moment. See, what's at stake if we don't ask this question is that we'll probably just go through the motions again this year. We'll do the sort of things we've always done, the ways we've always done them, which might not be the worst thing, but I've got a hunch that most of us don't just want to be experiencing what we experienced last year again this year. What's worse is that if we don't ask this question, though, is that our attention and our focus will often drift. And at least in my experience, When I drift, I never drift toward good things. I tend to drift toward trouble. But what I think is so important about this question is that it doesn't require us to make any big changes to our lives to live changed lives. We don't need new jobs, new houses, new schools, new friends, new anything. What this question allows for is for us to maximize the potential for good, the potential for growth, and the potential for God to move in and through us right where we are doing what we're normally doing. We can never maximize the potential of the moment if we don't know what this time, what this very moment is for. Just imagine what your life might look like if you made it a habit of routinely asking yourself throughout the day, what is this time for? You'd probably spend less time mindlessly browsing things online or just doing whatever you felt like doing. You'd probably use your time a lot better. But don't just imagine what your life would look like if you asked yourself, what is this time for? But asked God, Father, what is this time for? for. Because there's so much at stake with this question. Let me be clear and emphatic this morning. Don't ignore what this time is for. Would you say that with me? Don't ignore what this time is for. So today, to make sure we don't ignore what this time is for, we're going to be opening God's Word today and looking at three things. First, the potential of time. Secondly, the temptation of time. And thirdly, the fulfillment of time. So if you brought a Bible with you, I'd invite you to turn with me to the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 13, verses 11 through 14, or you can follow along on the screens beside me. We'll read the whole section, and then we'll go back through it line by line. Here are God's very words. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, to gratify its desires. So let's look first at the potential of time. Paul begins by saying, besides this, you know what time it is. When he says besides this, he's referring to everything he's gotten done saying up to this point in his long 
challenging, wonderful letter of, to the Romans. Up to this point, he's talked in precise theological detail about who God is and how all of us in some way have chosen to live separately from God and what God has done by sending Jesus to us to help bring us back to him through the Holy Spirit. And now in these remaining chapters of Romans, he gets into the practical implications of what this means and how we can live out these grand realities. Right before this verse, Paul gets done saying that if we were gonna summarize all this up into a sentence, here's what it is. Love one another. Love one another. So now that they know what to do, Paul wants them to feel the urgency to do what they know to do. So he says, it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we became believers. Now when Paul's telling them to wake from sleep, he's speaking metaphorically. But as the school year is kicking off, I think this is a great moment for us to pause and hear this a little bit more literally, all right? And if you're asleep right now in the sermon, great chance to wake up. Set an alarm, get out of bed, get going, game on, all right? We clear? But can you feel the urgency that Paul has in these words? He's saying, wake up, be at attention, because the salvation work that Christ began when he came to this earth, died on the cross, rose from the dead, it's being completed as the day when he returns is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So get ready, wake up, be alert. This calling to wakefulness is, rings throughout the entire scripture. Clear back in the fifth book of the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy, there's a, a creed that the Jewish people would recite every morning. They called it the Shema. Here's what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. That probably sounds familiar because when Jesus was asked, of all the commandments, which is the greatest one? He said that. He quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. That first word here is the word shema, and it means to hear or listen or pay attention or be aware. Would you say that word with me? Shema, shema. If we are to succeed at doing what we are most meant to do, to love God, then we have to first shema, to be aware, to pay attention, to wake up. We have to pay vigorous attention to what's going on around us, to what's going on within us, and to what God is up to. We have to know what this time is for. Presbyterian author uh, and minister Frederick Beekner says that this is what all good art and literature does. It calls us to attention. He writes, from the simplest lyric to the most complex and densest novel, literature is asking us to pay attention. Pay attention to the frog. Pay attention to the west wind. Pay attention to the boy on the raft, the lady in the tower, the old man on the train. In sum, pay attention to the world and all that dwells therein and thereby learn at last to pay attention to yourself and all that dwells therein. In other words, be present. Be wherever you are. Don't just go with the flow. Don't just stumble about haphazardly. Don't be physically one place and mentally and emotionally somewhere else. Pay attention Shema. Now, instead of being present, 
most of us have the tendency to use time in one of two ways uh, as our default mode. The first is to dwell too much in the past. We get very nostalgic, wishing for the good old days. Or we can be too preoccupied, on the other hand, with the future, fantasizing about the future, or getting nervously anxious about it. But what both of those things do is they can take us away from the present. If you had to reflect on your life, are you more of a past person or a future person? For me, I'm a future guy. I love to strategize and dream and think ahead, but that tendency when wrongly applied can often take me away from the present moment, from right where I am. And while there's certainly a time to remember the past and definitely a time that we need to plan for the future, we must never compromise the power and the potential of the present moment. In his excellent book on prayer, John Bailey writes here in A Diary of Private Prayer, this statement that captures the sheer potential found in any given moment. Here's what he says. The divine moment is the present moment. The divine moment is the present moment. The only place and the only time we can connect with God is right where we are, right when we are. But don't just be present to this moment. Be present to the very presence of God. Be present to his presence. That's what this time is for. And we can do that by simply acknowledging that God, he's with us. And then ask him this question, Father, what is this time for? For the past several Christmases here at Grace, we've had someone divinely inspired remind us of this importance. (laughs) Yes, that is a dude in a box and a very handsome dude at that, wouldn't you agree? Called present guy and he's inviting us to be present to the present because the divine moment is the present moment. But to help us see how we can better live into this, I brought along this picture frame. Now, a frame like this, what it does is it helps us to pay attention at whatever is inside of it. But it does not change anything about any given moment, but it does change the way that we perceive the moment. It makes us notice the moment. It causes us to pause and take in what we might ordinarily just walk past. It could be a really beautiful scene or a great conversation with a friend or a need that exists in someone's life that God might be nudging you to come out and notice and pay attention to. Or like the burning bush that God spoke to Moses through, the frame might help us see that, hey, we need to take our sandals off because this is holy ground that we're standing on. That's what a frame can do. So let's just take a moment to consider what it would be like, and that, that wouldn't be weird if we lived our days carrying around a frame, all right? Let's just pretend it wouldn't be weird to do that. What do you think if you carried a frame around everywhere you're walking, kind of like this, what do you think you might notice that you don't notice now? Who might you encounter that you might have not encountered? How could your attention be better captivated so that you might notice God? So let's experiment with that a little bit now in this moment. What is this time for right now? Well, as leaders of this worship gathering, our goal is that every person who walks through these doors would encounter and respond to God. 
Now, since we have platforms and stages to lead from, it's it's easy to think that all the action is kind of happening up here. But I want to challenge that because it's, I think instead we need to be more present to what's happening around us. Because I think if we framed our time on Sundays, not just this way, but laterally, I believe we'd really begin to notice those who are sitting next to us, those who walk alongside us. I believe we wouldn't be present just to the stage, but to one another. We'd see the opportunities that exist for us to connect with each other, especially those who are different from us that we'd ordinarily never come into contact with if it were not for the church. If we would all frame our Sundays, I believe that if we were present to God's presence like that, that we would come to see that we are here because of the divine connections that God wants to make among us and between us. That's what I believe we would be seeing? What if the potential of time was ready to be unlocked on Sundays and how we encountered each other? I recently heard a remarkable story about how this is true from one of our welcome team leaders here at our Lexington campus. This person writes that several years ago, we met a group of students from Brandeis University who were from Africa and were driven here by uh, Grace Chapel members. Several of us, including staff, formed friendships with these students from our after-service interactions in the lobby. And one of these men from Kenya was named Mwango May, and we formed an especially important bond uh, to him. After his studies, he returned to Kenya to help plant a church, and many of us helped support his efforts financially and involved others to do so through uh, fundraising sales and yard sales and other outlets like that. These funds helped to support the construction of their new church building, which is being completed as we speak. And the pastor wrote a few weeks ago that it was decided by the leadership and his community to name their new church plant after the very men and women that he met while studying here in America. It was agreed that the church will officially be named Grace Chapel Salu Kenya. Isn't that pretty cool? Here's a picture of our pastor friend. Here's a picture of Sunday worship happening there. This time on Sundays is for us to encounter and to respond to God. And I believe that isn't just by listening to sermons or singing together, but by interacting, getting to know, and blessing each other. There is so much potential in time because the present moment is the divine moment. It's our opportunity to be present to God's presence. So first, the potential of time is to see the present moment as the divine moment. Then secondly, the temptation of time takes over when we lose sight of this. Paul goes on to say, the night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Even when the sun has set, the present moment is for daylight living and not nighttime temptation. The potential of time starts to get lost when we stop seeing the present moment as a divine moment and instead flip it and see the present moment as my moment. (laughs) Looks familiar, doesn't it? See, at the root of these six dark actions, reveling and drunkenness, debauchery and licentiousness, quarreling and jealousy, is this 
inward desire to please ourselves more than to love others and to serve the world and to please God. Now, I could get down into breaking down what each of these six things is specifically like, but I think we kind of get a sense for what they're like. They're essentially, they all boil down to doing what we feel like doing whenever we feel like doing it, no matter the expense that might have on others. See, when we forget what this time is for, the light of our life, Christ's light in us, it will turn to dusk and maybe even into darkness. Now, this slippery slope starts to pick up steam when we become too self-preoccupied because selfishness extinguishes Christ's light within us. So what ways right now might the frame and perspective of your life be too focused on yourself and not outwardly on what God is up to in the world? How might, as we start this new season, how might you shed some light on these dark areas within your life as these dark areas exist in all of our lives? But the greatest way that we can avoid these temptations of time is to be relentlessly mindful of what this time, in fact, is for. So let's look thirdly at the fulfillment of time. Paul concludes this section of his letter by stating, Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So the flow of thought in these four verses that we've read goes something like this. Know what this time is for because the divine moment is the present moment. Wake up, be aware, be present to his presence. That's how we unlock the potential of time. But the temptation of time happens when we use this present moment not as a divine moment, but use it as my moment instead. But the antidote to that temptation is to remember what our time is really for. Our limited time on earth is best fulfilled by keeping our eyes on Jesus, on who he is and what he's done, and straining vigorously to make sure our focus remains on him. We need to reframe our lives around Jesus. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul, Paul insists. That's a bold statement. Those six words, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, they might be the most radical challenge that you will ever be issued in your life. Earlier in this letter, Paul makes it clear that God's intent for us all along is that we would actually become like Christ. Here's what he says in Romans 8, 29. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, foreknew and predestined are some big words that can hang us up a lot of times, but they're really just big words describing how God is working in this world, often beyond what we're able to comprehend to bring about his purposes in the world. And that purpose is namely that here and now, we would become more like Christ. That's his purpose. And that purpose uh, gets lived out as we undergo this process of being conformed to his image. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now don't let this put on language throw you off. God is not interested in just modifying our external behavior. He wants to transform our hearts inside and out through and through, so that we think and feel and live and interact just like Jesus would if he were us. One of my older friends 
was recently having a conversation with his son as they were driving uh, to take the son down to college. And the father asked, what is your number one priority going into school, son? Fair question. The father told him how easy it would be to become distracted with things other than studying and emphasized that he, what he was paying for and what he was not paying for. <laughs> a college education, not reveling in drunkenness, debauchery, and licentiousness, though I doubt he used those exact words. But along the way, the Christian faith came up more fully. The son said that he thought most Christians became Christians in order simply to get into heaven. But the father said, that's not primarily what motivated him. The father said, being a Christian to me is all about one simple choice. Do I want to live life with God or without God? And I have chosen to live life both here and in the life to come with him. See, living life with God is what being Christ's disciple means. It's this active, habitual choice to live your life the way Jesus would live it if he was gonna start living your life now. And as we do that, we're gonna become more like him. And the more we become like him, the more joy we'll be able to experience no matter what the circumstance. The more we become like him, the more purpose we'll have no matter how disappointing any circumstances in our life might be. The more we become like him, the more light we will be able to shine no matter how dark the world around us becomes. And the more we become like him, the more we will be able to love, to love God and love others. And that's the most freeing thing we could ever do with our lives. Now, anyone who chooses not to, be, not to be Christ's disciple must have found something more important to do with their time than becoming like Christ. So let me ask you, if you're not consciously striving to be more like Jesus, what have you found that's more important, more significant than that? See, deciding to become like Jesus, to live like him, is the most freeing thing you can do. It frees you from the pressure of having to find your worth and your performance or your grades or your resume or your job title or your accomplishments or the lack thereof. It frees you from becoming too dependent on what other people think of you and how well you are liked or followed or whatever. And the course of, uh, one of the things I learned in this course we took uh, for our son's namesake, Dallas Willard, back in Colorado in the shadow of the Rockies, he said this statement that I've never forgotten. It's probably the most significant thing I have heard in the last 10 years. Here's what Dallas said to sum up our course. What God gets out of your life is the person that you become. What God gets out of your life is the person you become. What God doesn't get out of your life are your achievements. Your achievements, they don't ultimately matter. Your titles, degrees, grades, performance, that's not the most significant thing to him. What matters is your character, who you become. And no matter what your story in life, no matter what your circumstance in life or what disappointments you face, you can start becoming the right kind of person now. Don't wait. You can become that kind of person now. And parents, as this school year is kicking up, I'd love for you to think about what you value most for your kids. Is it their character or is it their achievements? When you look at how you spend your time, your money, your energy, 
What do those things say about what you value for your kids? Do you value the same thing that God ultimately values? Who they become. Don't ignore what this time is for. Now to guide us in using time in the most fulfilling way possible, let me try and wrap things up with this visual illustration. Imagine this circle here is your entire lifetime. This is your lifetime, and your, the purpose of your lifetime, how it's best fulfilled, is by becoming like Christ. Inside this rather uncircular circle is a given moment of time. This is the potential of time. This is where we can be present to God's presence. Now, surrounding these moments of time within our lifetime are the circumstances and the conditions in which this gets lived out. So we could say this circle here is the immediate time around the moment of time. This could be your given day, week, month, this whole time around us. And then beyond the immediate time is our season of time. This could actually be the literal season, or it could be a mountaintop kind of time for you, or more of a valley, more of uh, a desert time. Now, these concentric circles, kind of concentric circles, can be a great grid for you to use in order to know what this time in your life is for. To know what this moment is for, consider what the immediate time is for. To know what the immediate time is for, consider what the season of life is for. And to consider what the season of life is for, remember what your whole lifetime is for, and that's for becoming like Jesus so let's try and just apply this to our individual lives now for uh, this last moments. What is this moment in your life for right now? We've already been saying in our worship service, just for encountering and responding to God. So be thinking as our service closes today, how might you respond to God? How might you use the time after in the lobby to allow God to forge divine connections amongst you? Then to know uh, but to know that even more, think about what's the immediate time? What's the immediate context in your life? See, I think this immediate context is the perfect environment that God wants for you to work to become more like Christ. That immediate context, as the new year is kind of kicking off, it might be your schoolwork or your housework or your uh, employment work or your retirement work or your unwanted work. The primary place that Jesus wants you to become like him and uses for you to become like him is the job. The primary place we become like Jesus is on the job. And our jobs are not just what we get remunerated for, get paid for, they're what we contribute to. So God's given all of us jobs. And whatever role or calling that might be as a student, a retiree, or somewhere in between, that's where Jesus wants to form you. Yes, we need retreats and prayer and silence and solitude and worship and fellowship to become more like Christ, but the primary context for becoming like Jesus is on the job. And do you know why that is? Because it's pretty hard to be like Jesus on the job, especially if you've got my job and I'm a pastor. It's not that easy. And if it's not that easy for me, I'm sure it's not that easy for you. But then beyond the immediate context, it's is our season of time. Maybe it's a stage of life, like childhood, or adolescence, or early adulthood, or mature adulthood, or incredibly mature adulthood. <laughs> that season, or, it might, or like your season of life might feel like one of our seasons. Maybe it feels cold and dry like winter, 
or maybe it feels like it's bursting with new life like spring. What is this season of your life for? For me, it's about enjoying the early days of Dallas Ripper's life. No doubt about it. Everyone's been telling me one day he's going to be this small and the next you're going to be driving him to college talking about how you're not paying for debauchery. It's just going to go just like that. (laughs) But what's great about these circles is that each outer circle helps us better know what the inner circle is for. So if we want to know what our moment is for. We need to think about the immediate time, what God's doing there. If we want to know what the immediate time is for, we need to know what the season is for. And if we want to remember what the season is for and any of these other moments, we have to remember what our lives are ultimately for. And that is for us to become more like Jesus, to put him on. And to forget that is to ignore what this time is for. And to miss that is to miss at life. And no feeling could be worse. But apart from Jesus, no matter how accomplished we might be, all of us would be swinging and missing out on life. So as we conclude our services today, we'll be receiving communion together. It's the perfect time to refocus, to reframe our attention on Jesus. It's the fitting time to decide, to choose to live your life, what it's ultimately meant for, and that's being Christ's disciple, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to become like him, because he is the maker of time, and he has done everything in its right time. And in Paul's letter to Galatians, we learn that when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son so that we might receive adoption as his children. That's how Jesus stepped into our time. And because he stepped into our time at the right time, our wasted time can be redeemed and our present time can be fulfilled as we live lives of love just as Christ loved us and we can be set free as his children. That is what this time is for. My brothers and sisters, may you never ignore what this time is for. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for this time that we can actually think and reflect on how we use our time. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness in the ways that we allow circumstances to dictate what we do with time instead of intentionally choosing to follow you, to respond to you. So Lord, help us to sense your presence ever near us. Help us to be more aware. Help us to live lives of Shema, seeing how we can love you and love others. And God, help us to fulfill our time by doing the hard work of putting off anything that does not resemble Jesus, any attitude, any thought pattern, any self-centeredness, any of our own ambitions, and put him on instead to be people who are clothed with your love and your grace. So thank you that by the blood of Jesus, we can be washed clean and we can be ready to live this kind of new life here and now. We ask for the strength to do it. And in Christ's name, we all pray together. Amen.